Welcome to the C12 Podcast. My name is Matt, and we are in the first week of Creed, a series on theology. Today, Heather will be speaking on the topic of what it means to be a Christian and what our creed is. We hope you are encouraged and guided by today's message. Hey, welcome to C12. Y'all get some dinner? Y'all get some food? Uh, Some of you still eating dinner? Um, We're so glad you're here. As Matt and Keely said, if it's your first time visiting with us, I got to tell you, we always feel really honored when people choose to trust us with their time and with their night. And they are correct. You picked a good night to be here. Now, as illustrated so beautifully in that video, Christianity is often viewed as a religion full of stained glass, a lot of rules, often downcast, judgmental, when the truth is that Christianity is very much about relationship and very much about freedom. Very much in what it means to live what Jesus said he came to bring, which is a full life. Now, Christianity, especially over these last few years, has something that's gotten very distorted. And honestly, at hyperspeed, I feel like the last even 12 months in hyperspeed has distorted what Christianity really is. As we've moved through a political season and COVID and, and, and being disconnected from other human beings. And so Creed is a series on what you have to believe in order to be a Christian. There are essential, non-negotiable truths that if you say, I am a Christian, you have to believe them. And if you don't believe them, then you have to really reevaluate whether you want to stay in what you've signed up for. Now, if you're here with us tonight and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you are wrestling with what this thing is called faith and church and God, and maybe you have a story and a history where you've um, experienced Christianity as a judgmental religion or much hypocrisy or maybe just something completely irrelevant to you, you are here at the right time. Because if you want to really know what it's about, That's what we're going to unpack over the next four weeks in creed. Now, why did we call it creed? Well, creed comes from the Latin word credo, which means I believe. The word itself, creed, means I believe. It's what is at the core of Christianity. What are you really saying when you said yes to Jesus? I believe this. I believe this. I believe this. One of the most famous creeds ever is called the Apostles' Creed. Let me just do a check in the room. Anyone ever even heard of the Apostles' Creed? Whether you know it or not. Okay, a few of you. You've at least heard of it. Now, the Apostles' Creed was actually written in 140 A.D., so 140 years after Jesus was born, roughly estimated. So not a ton of time has passed. And there are apostles and still planting new churches. And the church is still being birthed and beginning to multiply. And the church was under great persecution in that time. And so they developed something called a creed. So that when Christians, um, when you signed up for Christianity, you knew exactly what you were signing up for. Because they were under such persecution, they didn't want to not present themselves correctly to those interested. So a creed was formed. I want to read it to you today. It's an old, old creed, but it'll give you a little bit of a taste of what it means to state your beliefs. It goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator, heaven, and earth. Now, again, let me just say this. The Apostles' Creed has been recited since literally nearly, uh, well, it would have been about 100 years after Jesus went back to heaven. So this has been around for some time, recited by churches. It's still recited by churches all over the world today. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to hell. Did y'all know that? There might be new information. We'll get to that. Okay. 
The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, we'll get to that in a minute, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Now, when it says, I believe in the Catholic Church, it's not talking about the Catholic Church like you think of the Catholic Church. It's talking about what the word Catholic actually means, which is the church universal, like the global church. All of the Christians in the world belong to what is we would call technically a Catholic church, which just means a global church throughout all of time. So when you see that word, don't attribute it to what you typically think of. But this is the Apostles' Creed. Again, a summary of beliefs that was created and written and memorized so that Christians all over would know what they believed. Now, why do you need it? It's a big deal to have your own creed. It's a big deal to know what you believe, what you've said yes to. I was just having a conversation. Kendall, where are you at? Kendall and I were just having a conversation. Um, it wasn't about a topic that often is controversial in Christianity out in the lobby tonight. And we're having a conversation, and we're going to continue our conversation as she's fielding some questions on a controversial topic in Christianity. And so she's got to really decide what she thinks. Well, I think you know what you think, but now you're trying to figure out how to articulate it to somebody who's asking questions and pressing, and she wants to, how do I say this? How do I present this? How do I give evidence for what I know I believe? But now I've got to enter into a conversation with another person. Creeds are important. Now, I, I, I want to walk you through a little bit of an illustration because I can tell you they're important, but I'm not quite sure those words illustrate accurately why it's so important. There are essential things in Christianity. This is a bucket that would represent the things in that creed. This is the bucket that would represent all of the things that can create unity inside of the church. These are the things that you must believe in order to be a Christian. Things like Jesus is the only way to the Father. Things like salvation. Things like grace, truth, like building blocks, cornerstones of Christianity. And to, to say you don't believe them really means you have to decide whether Christianity is what you want to live inside of. But then we have some non-essential things. These would be things that you have what we would say liberty, freedom, to decide how you would interpret the scripture. There's actually things inside of the Bible that aren't really clear, right? I mean, there's some things in there that if you go looking for an answer on them, you could have five people around the table and all five people around the table are gonna have a very different interpretation of what it means and what it says. And we call them non-essentials because they're, the Bible is a little gray on it and really, it's up to the Holy Spirit's conviction in your own life, in your interpretation of Scripture, as to whether you have them part of your creed and part of your belief system. Let me give you some examples. For example, uh, style of worship music. Believe it or not, there are people that actually think this is an essential conversation. It is not. There is nowhere in the Bible that says the style of worship music that should be a part of a Christian's life. It can also be things like form of water baptism. There are people that want, you know, churches that sprinkle somebody's head. There are people, you know, we tend to dunk people underwater. Um, they could be in a lake. There's just different methods of it. Now, there are some people that might try and make it essential, but really the Bible just doesn't instruct us on that. There are several things the Bible does not instruct us on. Drinking. Actually, the Bible's not really... You could actually, you could arguably say that Jesus would come in the room and go, everybody have a drink, drinks on me. You could arguably say that. The Bible's very clear that drunkenness is wrong. I can't argue with that. I mean, if you, if someone tried to tell me that being drunk was okay, I'm, the Bible was okay with that, I just think you wouldn't know how to read. Like, I just, it's literally, it is literally that clear. Like, I'm not even sure half of Proverbs is telling, like Solomon's telling people, don't get drunk. 
Like, it's just not, it's not even a question. You don't have to pray about it. It just is. Now, drinking itself would go here. The Bible, there's nowhere in the Bible that says that it's a sin. But you know what? For some people, it is. For some people, the Holy Spirit has said, this is not for you. You have a problem with this. Or you have health reasons, and this is going to make them worse. Or maybe it's just a personal conviction that you hold. So there are some things inside of Christianity that are what we would call non-essentials. That means you have liberty and freedom to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Now, these are not things that you go reconstruct your own belief system with, but they're things you let the Holy Spirit speak to you in your study of Scripture and your time with the Lord to help determine what you think about that and what God wants you to do with it. Now, this bucket is everything else. All the things. Everything. And I put love on this bucket because this is what the world calls love. The world likes to take all the buckets, put them into the same bucket, and say, you can believe anything you want to believe. You can believe all things. You can believe no things. You can do whatever you want because really isn't everything love? Isn't it? And that's what culture would have it to to believe. And that if you decide differently, if you say to someone that what they believe in their all things bucket is not okay to believe, you will be accused of not being a loving person. Have you ever experienced anything like that? I have. Where you express a belief in something that is contrary to someone else's and you are labeled as something simply because you drew a line in the sand. Essentials. Honestly, the Bible is really clear about what God thinks on marriage, the equality of men and women, racism. There's just a lot of things that are in the essential bucket. Now, Christians and non-Christians alike are unfortunately taking this bucket and putting it in here. So that there really are no essential things. And everything's up for debate. And that you can actually be a Christian and really debate on anything. You can decide that Jesus isn't the only way to heaven. And that's okay. You can decide there's a different definition for marriage. And that's okay. You can decide that one race is higher above all, and that's just, I can't even say it. But this is what's happening, and this is what's creating problems, and this is what's creating conflict. Christians do this, and then the world does this. There's no lines, there's no boundaries. There's no rules, there's no, there's no boxes, there's no nothing. It all goes in here, and here's the lie. If we can just remove the boundary of the buckets, we will eliminate conflict. If we can just eliminate any precepts or belief systems that everyone should adhere to, well, then everybody will love one another. But I think you only have to watch the news for five minutes to figure out that the removal of boundary lines does not eliminate conflict, does it? That in the name of freedom, by eliminating God's truth and the essentials and even the non-essentials, what we have actually done is you create chaos. Where there is no clarity, there is confusion. And where confusion is, there is chaos. And where chaos is, there is conflict. And I've watched over these last 12 months, Christians 
get online and debate and fight and are so volatile with what they believe and then what they believe, well, you can't be a Christian if you're a Democrat. Well, you can't be a Christian if you're a Republican. I mean, who and how in the world do we decide that these were essential things? We're doing creed because you have got to know. You have got to know what's in this bucket right here. This yellow and blue, if I can get it out. If you don't know the answer, you won't know how to give answers. And so when you hear things, it will cause you to question things and to wonder things that you wouldn't have any reason to cause or question if you just knew what the essentials were. So here we are inside of Creed. We make non-essentials essentials. Why do we do that? Why do we put buckets inside of one another? Well, here's what I think the bottom line reason is. We mistake our preferences for God's purposes. Y'all should write that down. We mistake our preferences as God's purpose. Well, I like a smaller church, and so that must mean that God wants all churches to be small. Well, I like a really big church, and so that must mean that God wants all churches to be big. Well, I think drinking is entirely wrong and sinful. So anyone who is drinking, I'm going to internally judge. We think our preferences are actually God's purposes, and it's killing us. So, the, so when we have a desire, or we have a longing, or we have a want, or we just have an opinion on something, something we like, we inherently think it must be what God wants for us. And that is not necessarily the case. That third bucket means that nothing is essential, nothing is absolute. The first two buckets aren't needed. Build your own truth based on your own feelings and desires. Some of my most favorite conversations are with people <laughs> that want advice and or want to know what the Bible says about something. And then when I take them and show them what the Bible says about something, they'll say, well, I'm going to pray about that. Well, but it says... Like, it's real clear. Yeah, 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 I know, I know. I'm just, uh, I'm just not sure what God wants me to do. Um, let, me give you, let me give you an example, and you're going to hate this one. Oh, you're going to hate it so much. Heather, so I'm dating this person. Now, they're not a Christian. I know, you already know why you're going to hate this, don't you? Already, like, out of the gate, you know it. And they're just, they're just not a Christian. Well, how long have you been together? Oh, I, you know, a while. Well, can I, can I take you to what scripture says? Yeah, 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 what does it say? Okay, well, it talks about this. It talks about being unequally yoked. It talks about the importance of what it means to, that when you come together, when you're married, you become one. And when you become one, if one it's not moving the same direction, then you have a one divided. And so you're asking for a myriad of pain and hurt all throughout your life if you do this. Okay, well, um, hmm. Yeah, I'll get back to you on the other. <laughs> We're doing this series because you have to know you have to know what God says. To live your life as though everything is up to your own interpretation. Do you understand how limiting that is? It means the lid of your understanding, the lid of your interpretation, the lid for your life is you. And you're all smart people and great people but y'all, we have a human lid. There are limits to our IQ. There are limits to our understanding. 
there are things we cannot see and know about our future. There are things you cannot know are coming down the pike in your future. You can't know it, but God does. This series is about choosing to trust the truths of a God that knows you better than you know yourself, that has more power, more peace, that is omniscient, all-knowing, omnipresent, everywhere, omnipotent, all-powerful, sees the future of your life, and not just that, but the future of every person that will ever live. And you can have access to the truth of that God to direct you in this life. To choose anything else is to choose your own limitations. And man, I jack stuff up routinely. Like, left to my own devices, left to my own understanding, I mess things up and make mistakes all the time. I don't even have to. I can do it unintentionally. And then there's stuff I just do intentionally because I'm mad. I mean, you know, we have things that we do when we're left up to our own devices. The truth of God is tethering. Having your own creed is necessary. We're doing this so that you don't have to live in confusion, that you can walk powerfully and peacefully in the truth. And so tonight's first essential the first thing that goes in that yellow bucket, you cannot take it out. To take it out is to actually completely dismantle the essence of Christianity. And that is salvation. The essential of salvation. That we are all, you and I are all in need of being saved. Okay, I'm going to say a couple things. And again, even if you're Christians in this room, my guess is I'm going to say a couple things that you may not have known or you may have heard otherwise in other places. And this is, might be new information to you. Why are we all in need of salvation? Because humanity, men and women, we are not born naturally good. I know. And I know that's the opposite. That is the total opposite of what people are saying today. Do you know that is the total opposite of what some of these celebrity Christian teachers and preachers that are on television are telling you? Some of you are listening to podcasts and things like that where somebody is saying to you, yeah, people are naturally good. No, they are not. And I think we know this. I have three children. They were not are not naturally good. They were not. I did not have to teach any of my children to lie. I did not have to teach any of my children to take something from the other one. I did not have to teach any of them to throw a temper tantrum, any of them to be snotty, any of them. They just knew. Right? How Forget Christianity, just a logical, rational human being to say that we're naturally born good. It doesn't even make rational sense. This is why children's classrooms have so many rules. This is why you go into elementary schools and there's some form of discipline on the board, like you lose your card today, you get this sticker today, because I'm telling you, we are not naturally born good. We have to learn what it means to walk in holiness. Now, it wasn't supposed to be that way. That was not, not the plan. Y'all know God did not create the world so that we would all just be a bunch of ungrateful children. What he had was Adam and Eve who were perfect in a perfect place, were born good. They were created sinless. They were created without flaw. But they sinned, death came, separation from God entered, and ever since that point, every single person after Adam and Eve that was ever born was born into sin. It didn't even go beyond one generation after them. Their son killed his brother. That's how fast it moved. It went from Adam and Eve, perfect and sinless, they ate a piece of fruit, to their son, 
murdering his brother. That is the power of sin. Born into it. We're born into it. We are in need of being saved. Every person needs salvation, needs forgiveness. And the only person capable of forgiving us is Jesus. Now, this is, I'm still in the essential bucket. Y'all, you know this, right? I'm in the essential bucket. I have not moved buckets. I'm in the essential one. So, sin entered the world when Adam and Eve ate the fruit. And Romans 3.23 says this. Y'all should write these verses down, like the reference. Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All. Raise your hand if you have sinned. And I mean y'all better, because you don't want to be the one in the room that's like, what, me? No, don't be that one. For all have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Death came. Romans 6.23. So everyone has sinned. And then it says, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23. Death came. The intent was that we would live forever. We would live forever. Walking in the garden with God. Death had to be defeated. There was no one that could defeat death but Jesus. There was no human alive that had the power to die and come back to life and have conquered death. Only one could do that. That's why it had to go down the way it went down. There was, I remember asking my dad, and I was like, I mean, God is God. Couldn't God have come up with another way but to send his own son to die on our behalf? And he said, well, probably could have come up with another way, but there didn't, wasn't another person that could defy death. That's why the creed that we read said Jesus died, w- descended into hell, which he did. It's in scripture for three days. And then it came back from eternal destruction because victory had to be had over Satan. Satan had to know, you have no power. Jesus can defeat death. He can defeat hell. So Jesus, John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Essential bucket, sin, death, but then Jesus. But then Jesus who died and then three days later rose from the grave so that you and I can live forever with the Father. Our physical bodies might pass from this life, but our souls will live forever. And that wasn't the case before. Death defeated. John 11, 25, Jesus said to her, I am the what? Resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. Even though your body will pass from this life, you, what makes you Lacey, what makes you Robert, what makes you Brooke, what makes you you, will live forever in complete perfection. No pain, no suffering, no flaws, no sin. Forever with the Father in heaven. The relationship is restored. We sing that song that talks about the veil being torn. Oh my gosh, when we sing that song, I can barely contain myself. Like I literally want to like jump on tables. And I probably would if they're just not very sturdy. But I would jump on the table when I hear that line and the veil was torn. Y'all. Not my notes, but you should know this. This is such a big deal. So when Jesus died on the cross, you can read, you can go, you can read this in the Bible. I mean, you don't have to believe me. Go read it in the Bible. Like, when Jesus died on the cross, and it says, like, he breathed his last breath, 
lightning strikes and the veil in the temple was split. Like supernaturally, no person was there. Nobody took scissors, which didn't exist, but no scissors. Like the veil just split supernaturally. You have to know that the way the veil, it's not this like little flimsy like wedding veil. It was a veil made of fabric that could not be torn by human hands. It was so thick, and it was a veil, it was a curtain that separated the holy of holies where God resided in the temple from the people. Any person that would go through, through the curtain into the holy of holies literally was killed on the spot. Because a, a unholy people could not be with a holy God. There had to be a separation. And when Jesus died supernaturally, the veil split in two. This symbolic thing saying, okay, you know what? Now you have total access to me. We have access to God, to God. We, we jacked up, broken, gossiping, selfish, greedy little creatures that we are. To get on social media and judge other people at the very same moment we're comparing ourselves, thinking we're not enough. The people that we are that read the truth of God's word and still decide what we're going to pick and choose and still decide what we're going to get our own scissors out and cut out parts of scripture and just not read the parts that we think is going to ask too much of us so that we don't have to do it in ignorance is bliss. We get access to God and the Holy Spirit wants to live in us. Are you joking? It's not that God says, you can be with me. He says, I am going to be in you. I'm going to be in you. When you sing that song, the veil was torn, I'm telling you, you better be up on top of those chairs like Also, not in my notes, probably highly offensive. It's why you don't need a priest. It's why you don't need a pastor to talk to God, to forgive your sins, to tell you that you're blessed, to tell you that you're loved, you get to go directly to the Father. No obstacles, no walls. Ephesians, how do I know this? We're in the yellow bucket, y'all. Yellow bucket. Ephesians 3.12. In him, in Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Oh, it means... We don't even have to approach God like, hey, I know, I suck, I get it. We get to approach God with all confidence. Jesus covered my sin. And he loves me in spite of it. And when he sees me, he sees someone holy. I don't even get it. I don't even pretend to get that. Because Jesus made me holy when he died and rose again. He paid my debt. He paid it. See, the world would tell you that love is all things. It's all grace. Grace for everybody, everything, every belief, every single pagan God, every single religion. It's grace for love for all things. But see, the Bible and Jesus would tell you that love is grace and truth. Truth without grace is just judgment. But y'all, listen, grace without truth is enabling. Just grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. No truth telling. You know what? Not tell, it's telling, okay. Chase, if somebody lies to you, do you feel loved? Correct. We don't like to be lied to. We like the truth. We want truth. And we want grace. 
you cannot be a Christian and not accept God's truth. It's unkind. The relationship was restored, but then guess what? Y'all, this is so good. We, if you're a Christian, and this is yellow bucket, yellow bucket, we get to go to heaven. Heaven. No, no. Guess what heaven's not? Golf claps. Yes. Peter, what's up? Yes. That is not. It is not. I don't know what you imagine heaven to be. See, unfortunately, I think we imagine heaven is like, I don't know, like little cherubs flying through the air. And I don't know what you imagine it to be. I'm telling you, it will, whatever perfection is for you, it is beyond. Imagine your life with no insecurity, no pain, no hurt, no weaknesses, no flaws. Pure love, pure joy, pure strength. Imagine, now it sounds exhausting, but we'll have all the energy to sing Lord Send Revival like forever. Like jumping on the chairs forever. It's like a worship night that never ends. Like, now, I know. And our human minds are like, gosh, that's exhausting because, I mean, that's, we have to stretch, right? I stretch for that. I've lived a little bit longer than y'all. And a little bit. And I've seen enough of life. I've experienced enough of life. And I have a family whom I love. My daughter turns 18 tomorrow. I'm taking her to get her first tattoo. Because that's how we roll, it's simple. So, By the way, I don't know what guy just whooped and yelled that Eileen was turning 18, but you and I should talk afterwards. <laughs> I know it was. I'm just giving you a hard time. Kind of. Okay. <laughs> I told her, she's like, Mom, well, let me come to C12, you know, I'll be 18. And I'm like, you know, let's wait till you're legal. Then, then we can talk about it. Um, I don't even know why I brought that up. Oh, I know. Okay. And I love her. I would give my life for her. I love what I do for a living. Literally, being a part of C12 is like one of the greatest joys I've ever had in my life, and I've done a lot of things. <laughs> but, I, but there are days that in spite of all the good, I look up at the clouds and I think, Jesus, man, anytime, anytime you want to come back, I'm there. Anytime. Because see, in the yellow bucket also is that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back. The book of Revelation says that he will break through the clouds. He's not coming back like a baby in a manger like he did the first time. Merry Christmas. Not that. No, no. He's not. He's, he's already done the saving. He's already done the salvation. He's already died and gone to hell and come back so that we could all live forever. Now he's coming back for the people that decided to believe it. Do you know that literally every single thing in this world will burn up and die and go to hell except for the church? Do you know the only thing Jesus is coming back for is the church? And, and this is why I'm saying to you this is an essential. This is in the yellow bucket because there are people, there are Christians that will try and tell you that hell is not real. And they are wrong. They're wrong. And how do I know that? Because it says it. Like the Bible talks about hell. It talks about the devil. It talks about an enemy. It, it says that. It says God is not wanting any to perish. People say, well, a good God wouldn't send people to hell. He does not. 
a good God loves, and you can't force love. And so he gives us free will, and he gives us choice because he doesn't want to force love. And some people will choose to love him back, and some people will not. And it grieves his heart. It grieved his heart so much that he sent his son to die. If he didn't care about whether people spent life with him forever in heaven, he would never have sent his son to die. It, that's not even rational. It doesn't make any sense. And the Bible says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, every one, every person, that he gave his own son, not willing that anyone should perish, but that all should have eternal life. He doesn't want anyone to choose that life, but many do because many, many people cannot get themselves, they just cannot find themselves willing to choose the reality of this bucket. Well, I don't know, or I can't make sense, or it's not logical enough. Guess what? You never choose anything in life. You never believe in anything in life just because your head tells you. It's always your heart that goes first. People that are Christians, they didn't become Christians because they had a, a conversation in their head one day and reached some kind of rational conclusion. They, become, they became Christians because something happened in their life. Some kind of pain, some kind of wounding. They realized they were lost. They realized they needed something. They realized something needed to change. There was something in them that was missing. They became a Christian because something was like in their heart that needed fixed and they knew it. You become a Christian by faith. You know what? You also, be, you also choose not to be a Christian by faith. That's some faith. Choosing not to believe, I mean, that's, that's a gamble. It's a gamble. How do you receive the gift of salvation? How does it happen? Oh, this is what's so crazy about God. It's like, all the things I just said, a lot of words. I said a lot of words, I know. Receiving the gift of salvation, he doesn't even make us work for it. His love is so deep and so wide, it doesn't matter the kind of life you've led or the decisions you've made or what your background is or who you are. He offers you this gift and you just have to take it. And here's what it looks like. You have to choose to believe by faith that Jesus, all man and all God, came to this earth to save you from your sin. And that he offers you forgiveness and grace and eternity with him. You have to choose to believe by faith that Jesus is the Son of God and the only one capable of forgiving you and saving you. That you cannot save yourself. No one else can save you. Every single other religion, and I've studied them, I've studied them so much, I've gone to the mosque, I've gone to the Hindu temple, I've sat in the Jewish synagogue. I went to school to study. Every other religion is based on some dead guy somewhere. Christianity is the only thing that our God is alive. And Christianity, and listen, this is a real big deal, is literally the only religion that you don't have to earn. That you don't have to like do these five pillars, do these ten things, and then. You believe by faith. You choose to believe by faith. And then the second thing you do is you confess to that truth. You confess to that truth. You say to the Lord, I believe in you. I believe in you, Jesus. I believe that what you say you did, you did, that who you say you are is true. You confess to that truth. 
three, you make a commitment to follow him for the rest of your life. And this is where we get hung up. A lot of people, I believe in you and I confess this, but the whole like follow like the yellow bucket truth, like forever, hold up. Can I pick and choose? Or you know what, can I just grow to this point and then stop because all of this stuff seems like that's, that seems hard. So I'm just going to stick here. No, you're committing to follow Jesus for the rest of your life. And I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that it is all like peaches and roses. Life is hard, y'all, yes. You don't become a Christian and suddenly, like, nothing bad ever happens to you ever again. We still live in a world, remember, people are not born good. They're born into sin. And so we still live in a world that, like, People do bad things. Suffering exists. Disease exists. My mom has fourth stage lung cancer. And she loves Jesus with all of her heart. But we live in a world where that, that exists. Following Jesus doesn't mean everything gets easy. Well, here, oh, but here's what it means. So everybody's like, well, why do I want to sign up for that? Here's why. Because there is no love like his. Because there is no peace like his. And there is no joy like his. My mom has so much joy. And it's because she knows Jesus. I've lived life my own way. I've lived life calling myself a Christian while still engaging in all kinds of things that I said were non-essential and even in the white bucket all the while claiming that I was a believer. So I'm super familiar with that kind of life and I'm just here to tell you none of it is fulfilling. I've done it all. Nothing you say to me could surprise me. Nothing. Me standing here is evidence to you that God's way is the best way. <laughs> the best way. Do you know that this weekend is one year anniversary of shutting down from COVID? One year, C12. A year ago was the last C12 that we had before we shut down. And now it's time to rebuild. And we are going to rebuild on truth. Because the world has gone crazy. Crazy. And we are going to rebuild on truth. You are going to be a generation that rises up that rises up amidst all the chaos and all the confusion, you are going to rise up and you are going to go, I know who I am. I know who I am because I know who he is. And I live my life in submission and surrender to him because he saved me. And you come to me and you ask me questions about how you should then live, you will be able to say to people, I can tell you what you need. I can tell you what will save you. I can tell you what will fix that for you. Your generation has got to no longer live in fear of what other people are going to think about you. You've got to be willing to take a stand for truth. If you don't, who will? If you don't, who will do it? Many of you are going to get married one day. Some of you are already married. Many of you are going to have children someday. Many of you are going to be in careers and you're going to do all kinds of things in this life. And you need to decide now what you believe. What is your creed? Will you say, I believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me? See, for a lot of you, Jesus is just a face in a picture or on a wall painting for a lot of you, Jesus is this dead figure hanging on the cross in the front of a church, a crucifix. 
For a lot of you, Jesus was the subject of a Sunday school song you sang as a kid, you know, Jesus Loves Me. Maybe for some of you, Jesus is a fictitious character or a historical character or one of like a ton of options. Or maybe Jesus, and listen, listen carefully. Maybe Jesus has been a real disappointment to you, and you just have to be honest about that. Because you thought, if I choose Jesus, then he'll fix this. But then this didn't get fixed, and you're really disappointed. Or maybe Jesus just seems really distant to you. Just distant. It's not that you don't believe in him. It's not that you don't, you know, want to follow him. He just feels so distant and you just can't figure it out and you think something's wrong with you. For others of you, Jesus is the face you do long to see someday. Jesus is the reason you did not have to hang up on the cross. He's the reason... um, He's the face you see when you're facing some kind of giant in your life. You automatically think of Jesus. For some of you, Jesus really is your only reality, and really he's your only option. He's the forgiver of your history. He's the founder of your destiny. For some of you, you know Jesus is who set you free. But my question here to end the night is this, and every one of you have to decide this. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian, whether you're not, whether you're trying to figure out what you think about all this, whether you don't even know what you think and you're like even a little bit mad at some of the things I said tonight. Like everybody in here at some point has to decide, will this be part of my creed? That means no matter where I am, no matter who I'm talking to, no matter where I go, this is true. That Jesus saved you. So would you bow your heads with me? You know, I want, I can't talk about salvation and then not come to you and give you an opportunity to decide whether you want to receive that gift in your life. So for those of you in the room that maybe you're here and you're just investigating faith, you're investigating what Jesus or who he is, I want to say to you, you can actually make a decision tonight that you're tired of trying to save yourself. You're tired of trying to fix it all by yourself. You're tired of being enchained to cycles and patterns in your life that no matter how hard you try, you just cannot get out of on your own. You can surrender your life to Jesus tonight. Let him save you from yourself, forgive you of your sins, And you can walk with him from today and all through eternity and receive his love, joy, and peace. So I'm going to offer a prayer right now. I'm going to offer a prayer. And you can pray this along with me. This is your confession to the Lord that you believe this. This is your confession to the Lord that you are in need of his salvation. For some of you in the room, as I offer this prayer, it may be that you need to re-up as this being part of your creed. You've been in situations where you should have taken a stand for Jesus and you didn't. You've had people come to you and ask you for direction in this life and rather than point them to the truth of Jesus, you gave them some soft kind of an answer because you were afraid of what they would say. Or some of you have taken some of those things and and made what is essential and you've put it in the white bucket or the blue bucket and you've made it non-essential. And Jesus is calling you back tonight to say, wait, 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 hold up. Wait, wait, wait. 
You need to reestablish some things tonight. So I'm going to offer a prayer. I'm going to pray it out loud. You could pray it along with me, or you could pray your own. There's nothing, like, magical about the words I'm going to say. I'm just going to offer you an example. Whether for the first time or you're re-upping, you simply tell him, you say, Jesus, you say his name. And just go ahead and say it again. Get used to his name coming off of your tongue, Jesus. Tell him, say, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. And I'm asking for your forgiveness, Jesus. I'm asking you to forgive me. I believe in you. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you rose from the dead for me. I need you, Jesus. I commit to follow you for the rest of my life. I don't have all the answers. You might as well just tell him because you don't. But then tell him, but I trust you to show me the way. But I trust you to show me the way. Now thank him. Say thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for loving me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for this moment. Thank you for bringing me here tonight. Thank you that I'm never alone again. I'm going to ask you to do something really bold. Because I'm not going to pretend like following Jesus is for the faint of heart. I'm just not. I'm just not going to sugarcoat that for you. But if you prayed that prayer with me, if you gave your life to Jesus tonight for the first time, if you did that, would you be bold enough to stand up so I could see you? Just right now. If you need me to, I'll count to three. Ready? One, two, three. Up. Yeah, don't, don't feel weird. It just means you're the most popular people in the room. That's really what that means. Can we just lift hands toward them and pray over them? And Jesus, we come to you, and we pray over these souls that have stood. And they know the prayer they had with you. They know what they said to you. You know their heart. You know their life. And Lord, we just pray a sealing of this moment upon them. Lord, I just pray that, like, right now, your Holy Spirit, in dwelling within them, would fill them new and fresh. Would fill them new and fresh. Lord, I pray that any doubts they have right now, any, like, I've done this, I've said this, I'm standing, and I don't know. Um, Lord, I pray that you would remove any sense of doubt, and you would remind them that they are so deeply loved. They are so deeply loved. They are so deeply seen, so deeply known. Lord, again, just fill them with your presence. Bring clarity to their mind and thoughts. When they leave here tonight, 
Lord, we just declare they are leaving here freer than when they came. They are leaving here with your presence inside of them. They are leaving here with you forever. They are leaving here tonight different than when they came. Death to life. Bondage to freedom. Prisoners released. Mourning to praise. Be glorified in this, Jesus. Be glorified in this, Father. Thank you, Jesus. And Lord, may this be a room, a generation. I want everybody to stand up. May this be a generation and a people. May all the men and the women in this room be the ones that stand up for the truth. Yes, men and women. May this be a room that declares the name of Jesus over everything and everyone. Yes? Yeah, no. May this be a room that declares the name of Jesus over everything and everyone. Yes? Yes. We're going to end with the blessing that we always end C12 with. Uh, that's actually from Scripture. It's actually from the book of Numbers. Uh, Numbers chapter... <laughs> Numbers chapter 6. Um, and we just let the words, like, cover us. And we just receive them as we get ready to leave this place tonight. So you can go into a posture of receiving, or you can just close your eyes, or you can lift your head. You can just stand. It doesn't matter. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be so gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Because it is his peace that passes all understanding. And it's his peace that will guard your heart in your mind forever and ever in Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. We'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to the C12 podcast today. Next week, Steve Walton will be a guest speaker and we'll continue our series on theology and he will be speaking into sanctification. If you were encouraged and guided by today's message, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts. If you would like to learn more about College of 12 Stone, give us a follow on Instagram at C12 Stone. Hope to have you join us next week.